0: Uh, let me invite you to uh, open your bibles now to ephesians chapter 2 ephesians chapter 2 uh, there's an ongoing joke uh, that my wife and i have concerning myself uh, we like to kid around that i am a late bloomer on so many different levels uh, and truthfully it's not really a joke it's it's the truth uh, for instance, uh, when I was in ninth grade, I was one of the shortest guys in the class, in our, in our, in our class. Uh, by, by the end of my sophomore year, I was one of the taller ones. Uh, considering my call to ministry, I went through school and got my, uh, when I started, I was first a math major, and then I realized math is a lot harder once you get to the higher levels. Uh, I would like the more simpler math and so then I, I still like working with numbers, so I jumped to accounting, and pretty quickly realized, no, accounting's not for me, and, and then it was through that time the Lord called me to ministry. Even after graduating, it took me a few years before I even got into ministry after graduating. Things just take me a long time. Uh, there's one thing in particular that has really taken me a long time to change, but I have changed dramatically in this area, and that has to do with eating out. How many of you enjoy a good restaurant? It's okay. It's God's gift to us. Uh, growing up, I mean, our family did not have a whole lot. And so going to McDonald's is a big deal for me as a kid. And then as I got older, uh, into high school, junior high, high school, it became Long John Silver's. Any Long John Silver's fans out there? Two-piece fish, three-piece chicken, hush puppies, and fries. That's, how, that's where it's at right there. And then you're sick for a couple days afterwards. But hey, man, it was worth it for that 30 minutes of, <laughs> of eating that. Uh, so if, and if we did go out to eat to a fancier restaurant, I mean, I, I preferred like chilies and, uh, you know, Fridays. Those places where you knew what you were going to get. And so I refused to like try new restaurants. Like, you know, those mom and pop shops or those locally owned restaurants, those that weren't chains. I just didn't trust them. And in fact, I was dead to those kind of restaurants. But that all changed for me uh, in North Aurora when Nikki and I received a gift card to the turf room. So th- this, is, this is one of those places. This wasn't just like a, you know, a local place. This was like an expensive place, you know, where like the entree started, at like $30 a plate. Uh, and, and that's the starting point. So somebody gave us a gift card. And so for the first time, like I, I realized, this is why people spend money on good food and we were overwhelmed like what is this amazing food that we are tasting I have never tasted anything like this before and so from that point on like my I was made alive to the idea that there was far greater food than Fridays if that's new to you brothers and sisters let me tell you Elkhart County has nothing on what the world has to offer you. That's one thing I don't like about Elkhart County. There's not enough good restaurants. But the truth was I was dead to that good food that I didn't realize, but I was made alive when I tasted it. That's really the picture, in a sense, of what God does to us. Before Christ, we were were dead to the things of God. We, We had no idea what was good But when God opened our eyes to our sin and convicted us and we repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, he made us to live. That is something far greater than we could have ever imagined. And so let's look at the text this morning, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, walking the course of this world you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Oh, the... The depth and the riches of your word here, Lord. What amazing truths have we just read through? God, I thank you for the grace, the mercy, the love that you have lavished on us, that you have opened our eyes, Lord. For those of us who repented of our sin and placed our faith in you, you have opened our eyes to our desperate need for you. And we praise you. And so this morning, Lord, I pray for those believers. Here today, I pray that they would be overwhelmed at your grace once again. Lord, that they would remember who they once were so that when they look at who they are now, they worship you. They go to the world that so desperately needs to hear the good news. Would you do that in your people this morning? And Father, if there be anybody here who is an unbeliever, whose eyes have been darkened, who, who is who are dead. In their sins to the things of God, would you breathe new life in them? Would you open their eyes that they may behold wondrous things out of your law? Would you expose their sin and then reveal your grace and your mercy and your love to them this morning? Father, I know that I can't do anything to convert, but Lord, may I be faithful in planting and watering, and I pray that you'd bring growth this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void. That is my hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, Aaron took us through the last section of Ephesians 1, and we what we saw was a prayer of thanksgiving, as well as a request that the Ephesians would be able to grasp the wonders of their amazing hope in Christ. And it is our heart as an elder team that you would regularly be amazed and be able to comprehend this great hope that he has called you to, that we would be captivated by the power and authority of our great Savior. Are you amazed in your Savior this morning? And the prayer, in a sense, really, Paul's prayer doesn't stop coming into chapter 2. And Paul wants to explain who we were apart from Christ and what God did for us in Christ out with the old, in with the new. And so let's begin by looking here at who we were apart from Christ. First of all, we were spiritually dead apart from Christ. We were spiritually dead. In verse one, we see that we were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, of course, dead doesn't mean physically dead. It also doesn't mean that we are like brainless zombies walking around. For in verse 2, we see that we walked following multiple things that we'll get into later. We've taken part in pursuing the ways of the world. It was an active choice, our living flesh made to do so. So it's not a physical death that he's talking about. Rather, this is a spiritual death. We we are born dead to the things of God. You know, some people, when you ask, like, how long have you loved God or been a believer? Like, I love God my whole life. That's absolutely not true. We were born born dead to the things of God. Born to dead. And and now we we need to be careful here. There, There is something many of us are, this is something many of us are familiar with. And this morning, I do not want to assume that we all know what it means to be spiritually dead. First of all, it doesn't mean that we are dead because we committed a certain sin. It's not about, like, the fact that you made a mistake and now you are spiritually dead. The reality is, is our whole identity is sin, We are sinful to the core. We were born that way. We were born utterly lost. There are some people who believe that we are born neutral and then things happen as we are born. That's absolutely not true. We are born spiritually dead to the things of God with no life, no breath, no desire whatsoever for Him. We don't start on a journey pursuing the Lord, we start running away from Him. It is our identity. Now, that th- you may say that this, this sounds pretty harsh. Like, I, I see a lot of good people who aren't believers. Well, what do you mean? L- let's just look at what Scripture has to say. I want you to turn with me. Keep your finger here. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. One day, maybe we will look at the book of Romans. If I'm honest, it's a little bit intimidating. <laughs> but there is so much depth of theology here. Such a wonderful book In Romans 8, starting in verse 6, this is what we see. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be spiritually dead means there is nothing we can do to please God. There's nothing we can do to bring glory to him if we are unbelievers. We can't please him. It's impossible. Now, an unbeliever may display a glimpse of true love, but but it's not to the point where it pleases God. Why? Why? Because there is no desire in their hearts for God. Nothing they do is for his glory, which is what we were created for. And as we look at this passage, there are are three things that we see that hold us captive three things that keep us from pursuing the Lord. Look again at verse 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3 in Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Notice, first of all, the world. Holds us captive. As Christians, hopefully, it's obvious to you that the things of this world, the principles of this world, operate on a different realm than the things of God. We are not like the world. God's word goes completely against the things of the world. What does the world worship? Self. The world worships self. You call the shots. Have it your way. You get to decide what truth is for you. Follow your heart. These are all things of the world. You get to say what and who you love. You get to define what's scientific and what is not. You don't mess with, just don't mess with me. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Don't tell me what I should believe. These are all the things, the systems of the world. And doesn't that all fly in the face of God. When Jesus came, what did he say? Anyone who would follow me must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't follow your heart. That's the worst advice in the world. <laughs> the world holds us captive. Notice what else holds us captive? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We also held captive by Satan and his enemies. There is a real enemy who is trying to destroy us. Consider, oops, I jumped too fast here. Consider 1 Peter 5:8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour now when it comes to the enemy there are two extremes that I see people fly off the handle of number one there's a devil behind every rock the devil made me do it everything is the devil (laughs) have you met people like that have you been at a church like that that everything is the devil Uh, we were uh, at our conference our retreat in Florida that we were at we met a guy Uh, from the Congo his name is Baron. just an amazing guy who's looking to plant churches there but one of the things that he said is that the the churches in Congo Africa they are full of prosperity preaching gospel and deliverance ministry gospel like where, where everything is about delivering the devil out of whatever oh cast the devil out when you can't find a parking spot oh that sore throat devil get out of me cancer the devil get out of me like as if The devil is about everything. That is is one one extreme. Another extreme would be to deny there's a spiritual enemy altogether, minimizing the impact that he has in our lives. Now, you can say what you want about this story, but several years ago, I was counseling a lady uh, who was dealing with a lot of demonic things and had messed with the occult witchcraft and she was seeking the Lord uh, I thought and in the midst of counseling one Sunday morning we were uh, during the service we had an open mic scripture reading and this lady came on my side the mic that I was holding and the pastor on the other side knew what was going on with this lady and said hey Ben you can't he texted me said Ben you can't have this lady share in light of what she's going through I'm not sure what she's going to say when she gets in front of a mic and so I went to her and said, hey, look, thank you for coming up. Thank you for your willingness to share from God's word. But uh, I think you should pass right now. And she flipped out. Uh, she just hauled off and went. ran out the doors, rushed out the doors. And so went through the, the scripture reading. And then I followed outside and found her in an office talking with people. And the countenance of this woman completely changed. Her voice got deeper and darker. She got kind of physical, almost violent with the people there from all appearances from my side I am no expert in this area but but to me she seemed like she was demon possessed and we tried to pray over her and she wanted nothing to do with it and so she left and we and we didn't see her for several months and then one sunday morning here comes this lady along with a, another lady who had been caring for her and she came and she just kind of confessed and repented and asked our forgiveness of what she did on that Sunday, and of course I quickly forgave her, and, and what I had found out is that yes, she again, she indeed, during the counseling, was messing around with the with the occult, messing around with witchcraft. And you can say what you want, that, that it's not real or that it's or it is. But the truth is, the reality is we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. We have an enemy who wants to pursue us. But but here's the thing: the world is And the devil are not holding us captive in the sense that we are trying to fight against that. Because there's another thing at war within us, which is our greatest problem. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So you have the world, you have the devil and his demons, But the greatest problem that we deal with, our greatest problem is our own flesh. Our own hearts deceive us. The flesh wants what it wants. It will do anything to get it. No one gets in the way. Now our flesh is not, it's not speaking of our literal flesh and bones. It's not our our fleshliness that that makes us sinful. It's talking about our inner heart. It's talking about our desires that rage war within us. you, you see in Scripture, like, beautiful are the feet that bring the good news. So it's not about our physical flesh. It's about what lies within our hearts. It's what, what we desire and what we love the most. This is what makes us sinful. This is what draws us. We love what the world has to say. In our flesh, we love the things of this world. We love to have our ears tickled. We love to surround ourselves with people who say what we want to hear. That's why all so many false prophets, prop, prophets come through and deceive many. Why? Because they love what they have to say. They, we, they don't want to be captive by the things of this, by, the, the, by God's word. They want to do their own thing. They don't want to be under somebody else. They want what they want. The flesh wants what it wants. Too often we can blame the devil. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. The devil just knew where your flesh was. The devil knows what your flesh wants. Think of Adam and Eve. Did Eve have to be drug into eating the fruit? Were they like like pushing strong and the devil pinned them down and forced them to eat the fruit? No. They were drawn away by their own fleshly desires. Like, oh, This sounds kind of good. They were enticed by their own desires, and they gave in to sin because they wanted to. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our nature before Christ. We wanted nothing of God. We didn't pursue him. We didn't love him. We hated him and everything that he stands for. And because of this nature in us, the end of verse 3 says that we were, all of us, children of wrath by nature. What does that mean? This is speaking of our destiny. What's our destiny as unbelievers? Our destiny is to face the wrath of God. We are all born as children of wrath, awaiting God's wrath to be poured on on us. And here's the amazing thing for believers. First of all, remember that you deserve God's wrath. But for those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, we will not have to face the wrath of God. Because Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. When we wanted nothing to do with him, at the right time, Christ died for us. And really, guys, this first point here is the biggest problem that we face with people. The problem isn't getting people saved. The problem is getting people lost, getting people to understand that they're lost, And one big temptation that we face in our country is that we are so prosperous that we think we're good and we can handle life because of all the prosperity that we have. We don't have as many of the problems as third world countries have. Not to say that they are any less lost than we are. But we think we are self-sufficient. The problem is not getting people saved. It's getting people realizing that they are utterly lost. And so what what do we do with this reality that we were spiritually dead? First of all, for believers, be amazed. Be amazed that God rescued you from such a wretched condition where you were sinful to the core of your being. In fact, verse eleven. We're not going to get in that this week, but next week we'll talk about it. But look at verse eleven. It says, "Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ." He, Paul wants us to remember, remember who you were. Because if we forget who we were, then pride comes in because we're going to find out that we are Christ's workmanship. He is the one that saved us by grace. We didn't step out of our sinful flesh because we came to an epiphany. The only reason why we come to Christ is because he opens our eyes. Believers, there's no room for boasting. If you're an unbeliever, my prayer for you is that God would open your eyes to see this. The only way that this can be come a reality of you understanding is if God opens your eyes. My prayer is that you would see the ways of the world and see how it's out of control. See how messed up the world is. See how messed up your heart is. And that you would repent. We were spiritually dead apart from Christ. Look at verse four. But... God, are those not the sweetest words in Scripture? But God, we were an absolute mess. We hated God and we killed Him. We were His enemies. But God, we ran after the world, the devil, and did whatever our flesh wanted to do. But. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What an amazing passage of Scripture. And here's what we see. We were made alive in Christ. We were made alive in Christ. How many of you would love To see one of Jesus' miracles take place, how many? I would, no shame in that. And if I were to ask you, what miracle in the Bible would you want to see? I'm sure uh, some of you may say parting of the Red Sea. How many of you would just be? (laughs) Can I I just go see that? Like I I would love to see that all take place. Uh, Perhaps some of you may want to see Jesus walking on the water. That would be something to behold. Uh, How about seeing Jesus rise from the grave? wouldn't that be amazing to be at the tomb and watch the tomb rolled away and then Jesus coming out alive? it would be amazing. Here's the thing. If you are a believer in Christ, you have experienced one of the greatest miracles that has ever happened. The fact that you have been called out of death into life is an absolute miracle. There's no reason that any of us should be standing or sitting here today having been forgiven by almighty God who cannot stand sin in his presence. And yet because of Christ, we have been made alive. What an absolute miracle that any of us ever came to Christ. Whether you have lived a life of sin and then he brought you to repentance or he opened your eyes as a young child, each and every person whom God has rescued is an absolute miracle. And what is it that you contribute to your salvation? How do we receive it? Verse 4 and 5 speaks of God's rich mercy, his great love. Verse 7 speaks of his immeasurable grace. God doesn't just have a little bit of mercy. He's rich in it. And really, in order to save us, he'd have to be rich in it. It was no small thing that he did for you. Now remember, what is mercy? Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. We deserve God's eternal wrath. We deserve to be punished forever. And the same wrath that caused Jesus to endure everything... He endured on the cross to make us right with him. That should have been us. God's mercy is no small thing. He didn't just declare people to be saved. He didn't just decide, you know what, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you. He said, no, first of all, this has to be made right. I am a just God. I am a righteous God. I can't just declare a sinner to be sinner without any blood being, being spilled out. So he sent his own son. Who spilled the blood that we should have spilled so that we would be made right. Oh, may, may we never grow familiar with his rich mercy. Christ received what we should have received. Why were we saved? It's because of God's great love, it says, by which he loved us. Now, it can be argued, there's plenty of conversations that, that, like, does God love all people? Like, we're not going to get into that, but there's debate on whether or not God really loves all people. But here's one thing that's absolutely true. Only God's people experience God's great love. Only God's people get to have that. And, And the Greek meaning of the word great here means often, many times. That's an interesting way, right? Like, How often, many times, is God's love towards those who believe? And here's what I take away from that. It never stops coming. God's love never stops being delivered to his people. But Ben, you don't understand. I confess Christ, but then, man, I messed up. I got an anger problem. He lavishes his love on you. Ben, you, you don't understand. I, I, can't just, I can't get it right all the time. The cup of God's love for his people is running over. You can't contain it. God's going to keep loving you over and over again. Here's the reality for every, be, every believer. Not only does God's great love save us, but it sustains us. There's no limit to the amount of forgiveness he offers those who have genuinely repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. That's why when Peter said, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And he's got this boastfulness in his heart, perhaps seven. I'm willing to forgive my brother seven times. And Jesus like, are you kidding me? Okay, maybe he didn't say that. but (laughs) I don't keep count of how many times I forgive you, so don't keep count of how many times I forgive you. You forgive others. God's forgiveness for us is never ending. First John 1.9 says what? If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. His love never stops. And he will cling to us For an eternity. John 10 28 says this I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And guess what? We can't jump out of his hands. Once he has rescued us, we can't even jump out. That's how great his love is for us. When God saves us, he holds on to us, and he never lets us go. Salvation is not something you can lose. And there is something that God is saying in, in this. And there's a very interesting, just look at this, verse 7. And, and that it, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But wait a minute, look at verse 6. What, is, what does verse 6 mean? He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus? What does that mean? Now, now first of all, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't really consider Elkhart County being a heavenly place. <laughs> Just at the beach in Florida, I guarantee. You, that's, that's more heavenly than here. So, so, seating us in heavenly places is, we're not physically in heaven. But, but, but here's how we can understand what this means here this is how great God's love is for us. When Jesus died for the sins of every person who will ever believe. He was resurrected and returned to heaven. What did he do at the right hand of God? He sat. He sat at the right hand of God. What did that signify? The work is done. The work is completed. Forget about the sacrificial system. It's been completed with my sacrifice. No longer do you need to sacrifice any animals to be cleansed from your sins. I have... Pay the ultimate price. I am the ultimate sacrifice. And so I sit down because it's complete. Here's the thing about our salvation. He has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. What does it mean? It's a done deal. We are already considered saved. We are already considered his child. That's never going to be removed from us. That's how great God's love is. He loves us all the time, over and over again, despite our sinfulness. He loves us. We are seated. It's over. It's complete. No one will snatch us out of his hands. Why are we seated in the heavenlies? Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Let me ask you this. Would God be showing his kindness to us by saving us and then taking it away? What kind of cruel God does that? And yet, so many people are living as if somehow this free gift that you've received apart from good works could be taken away. Brothers and sisters, once genuine salvation takes place, it can never be taken away. Verses 8 and 9, you've heard me quote this, and you'll hear me quoting it a million times after this, Lord willing. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So you look at this, and what's involved in our salvation, we have grace, We have faith, and it says it is the gift of God. What is it referring to? It is referring to the whole process. God's grace is a gift to you. Your faith in Christ is a gift to you. Salvation as a whole is a gift to you. It's not by anything that you have done. It's not by any potential that he sees in you. Oh, I long for Christian music to get it right. I get tired of hearing people saying God sees his potential in you. No, he doesn't. He sees the potential of him working through you maybe, but it has nothing to do with you. It's by grace. It's by faith. Both are gifts from God for you. That's why there's no reason to boast. That's why an arrogant Christian should be an oxymoron. And consider what a testament to God our salvation is. He can make his enemies his friend. He can turn objects of wrath into objects of grace, and he sustains us even when we don't live as we should. Why? To show, as it says, his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You have been basing your joy on your performance, and it hasn't gone that well. And so you are punishing yourself for it. You're a wreck, and you think God has abandoned you. Listen if you have truly repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, his grace and mercy and love towards you is overflowing. His love is never ending. His mercies towards his people are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness towards those who believe. If he saved you apart from works, he's gonna sustain you apart from your works. And the hard part is resting in him, isn't it? God's been showing me a lot of that lately. How do I understand that I'm saved by grace? How do I comprehend when I'm a mess after salvation that you still love me just as you did when you rescued me? That's the key, right? It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Believer, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Be amazed with the gospel this morning. Remind yourself every day of this great news. Eliminate any boasting that you may have. And really, there's a reason why God's rescued us, there's a reason why He made us alive. We were made alive for a purpose. Look at verse 10, we'll end with this. For we are His workmanship. Do you know what workmanship means? It means his creation. We were his masterpiece. We were his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God didn't just save us so that we could go do our own thing. He didn't just save us to make our life easier so that we could just make what we're doing easier. It's not about that at all. It's not about us at all. It's about his glory shining through us. Sometimes I get frustrated. Super Bowl's coming, you know. Sometimes I get frustrated with when they interview athletes who are kind of like the heroes of the game and they're like, oh, I thank, I thank God for the ability I've given. And yet, like, like publicly it's known that their life has no, no reflection of Christ at all. Like, God didn't, God didn't give you skills just so you could play basketball. He gave you skills so that you'd have a platform to give him. Because, because if you are a true believer, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you that you would walk in them so that he gets all the glory. You're not a good basketball player because you're, you're just an amazing person. You're not a good accountant because you're, you're, you're amazing. You're not good with money because you're amazing. You're not a good teacher because of your skills. God has gifted you in such a way that you would reflect all the glory back to God. And here's the reality for every believer. He he has gifted you for a reason. 1 Peter 4.10, if you are a member of our church, we went through this in our membership class. As each has received a gift, not if. This is if you've received a gift. If you are a believer in Christ, you have received a gift. Use it. To serve one another. So we have this gift. It's not for me. It's not for me to hoard it over here. It's to be used to serve the body. Let me ask you, are you aware of the gift that God has given you? Are you using it to serve his people? Because if you aren't, the next part isn't true. You're not being a good steward of God's grace to you. Listen, if he has skilled you in any way, that skill is to be used to say, man, God's allowed me to do this. I don't know why. Listen, like if you're building a house, don't call Ben Hurt, okay? It may not last. (laughs) Why? God chose not to gift me in that way. If he's given you that skill, he's given it to you for a reason. God has not gifted me to be primarily overseeing middle school kids. I coach middle school, and that's about all I can handle. (laughs) For those of you who, like, they're a weird crowd, right? Those who I think of Connor, like, just loves junior high kids. I, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I love you, brother. No, God gifts us in certain ways to serve. Connor's using the gifts that He's given to love the teenagers of our church. He hasn't He hasn't saved you to make your life easier. Oftentimes, life gets harder after Christ, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, we have this enemy after us. He doesn't save us to make us feel happy. Certainly, happiness overflows out of that. He saves us so that we would live for his glory. So, Let me ask you, how are you living for God's glory? How have you lived for God's glory this past week? What have you consciously done, understanding that I am here for the glory of God? I am in this job for the glory of God. I am a grandparent for the glory of God. I'm a parent for the glory of God. I'm a husband, wife for the glory of God. I'm a teacher for the glory of God. I work in the library for the glory of God. I drive a school bus for the glory of God. I do custodial work for the glory of God. Everything we do is for his glory so that God can show his immeasurable grace to save sinners such as us. Brothers and sisters, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, yet he made you alive in Christ. This was all according to his rich mercy, his great love, and his immeasurable grace. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which he has laid out for you in in order that you would walk in them. Let me leave you with a few action steps today before we close in a song. I encourage you, first of all, hide God's word in your heart. Memorize Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Remember, as verse 11 says, remember who you were. Remember that God saved you by grace. Boasting has no place in the life of a believer. If you've been proud in any way, repent. If you think you're amazing and awesome because of what you, what you can do, and you've been taking it internally and thinking, I am pretty awesome, repent. And then use it. When I, people come to you and say, that was awesome, or you're great, or, you know what? I'm just here to bring glory to the Lord. He's gifted me in such a way to turn back to him that has nothing to do with me. And then I encourage you just to, just to dwell and soak in Ephesians chapter 2. As we're in there right now, we'll uh, just prepare you for next week as we get into the next section of Scripture there. And then then remember who you were. We've talked about this a lot. Remember who you were, and let it not lead to shame. Be amazed. Be amazed. And if you can't remember who you were apart from Christ, like I don't have a long list of dirty laundry before Christ because God saved me at a young age. So I remember who I am, even with Christ in my sinfulness, and yet God sustains me. Let that be overwhelming to you. That's almost more overwhelming to me that God receives me and loves me where I'm at, I mean, refuses to keep me there. That, That amazes me so much more than anything I've done in the past before Christ. And then what good works can you walk in? How has God gifted you? Maybe you need to spend some time. What am I good at? Ask yourself, are you serving the body? He's gifted you so that you would serve to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Let me pray for us. Father, it's... it's how, how do we respond to this? There's opportunities for us to be Discouraged, maybe, because we aren't really serving, we aren't working, we aren't doing things for your glory. But God, if we truly repented of our sins, place our faith in you, God, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Father, what a, what a what an amazing gift you've given us. But I thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness towards us. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage those believers who may be beating themselves up lord i pray that they could leave encouraged that your grace is so amazing your your love is so great your mercies are rich lord you are not up there playing whack-a-mole with us that every time we screw up you're looking to hit us on the head you love us when you look down you see your son you've already considered us as sitting in the heavenlies so lord let us live out of that standing before you so that we would rejoice god thank you for your grace and for your mercies and it's in jesus name we pray amen